0: Welcome back to the Surfacing Leaders podcast, where you can come along with nuclear submarine officer, sought-after turnaround CEO and founder of Lead with Purpose, Mark Kohler, as he tells the stories of leaders in unlikely places, and the human spirit that drives us all, to show us that anyone can learn to be a leader. And now, here's Mark Kohler. today we're welcoming leslie gall she's the president and ceo of visit oceanside leslie is a proven leader in destination marketing management with over 26 years of experience in the tourism industry her accomplishments include the creation of an award-winning destination marketing management organization and tourism marketing district for the city of oceanside her efforts over the past 20 years have transformed Oceanside to be a top-rated beach destination in Southern California. Now, this is a total transformation of not just downtown Oceanside, which has two new world-class beach resorts in the Mission Pacific and Seabird, but she's also led efforts in the Agritourism Strategic Plan to make best use of farming land in the city and also the El Zone Master Plan, which comprises the SoCal Sports Complex, 22 world-class grass fields for soccer and lacrosse, and also the new Oceanside Aquatic Center. All of this has led to millions of more visitors in Oceanside and millions of more financial impact for the community. Currently, she serves on the Economic Development Commission and the Elcor own Standing Committee, She's involved in industry-related organizations, serving as regional ambassador for Cal Travel, representing the San Diego region, and she's a board member for Destination Marketing Association West. Leslie is married to her husband, David. They have two sons, and they reside in Oceanside, California. Leslie, welcome to Surfacing Leaders.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Great. So, when you hear that, what does that sound like? Are you sitting there going like, "Hey, who is that person?"
1: So I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, the years have gone really fast since we first started that. We had so far to go when I started the organization, and to see where we've come, it it blows my mind. Because I still feel like we have a long ways to go. But I have to. It's nice to sit and reflect and realize what we have accomplished.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. So, tell us your story. How did you become involved in the Oceanside community. And tell us where that started.
1: So, well, I, what brought me to Oceanside is actually my husband. He is a retired a Marine pilot and he was a Cobra pilot. And so we had our choice of, well, he had his choice of aircraft or coast and he actually picked coast over over aircraft, which is, which is unusual to do that. I had family here and we just thought it would be great to be in Southern California with him being gone so much. And then when we came, my my background is marketing. I graduated from University of Missouri and with an inter- interdisciplinary degree in marketing, advertising, and design. So I was really just looking for a position in marketing. And a few years um, after living here, got a position at San Diego North Convention and Visitors Bureau, and worked as their director of marketing and communications for several years.
0: What what years that start?
1: Oh, do we have to talk about years? Yes, that was, that was like back in. So I started there, I think in ninety four. Okay. 1994. Okay. So, and I was really fortunate. I was there, cumulatively, about nine years. But because of the military, we left and came back. And my boss back then, Cami Matson, I was fortunate that she hired me back and I got to stay there a few more years with her and, and really learned a lot about the industry from her and, and how to maneuver it. Not just from an industry standpoint, because from a political standpoint, too, and, and the importance of building those relationships in collaborations with city governments and um, state governments.
0: So, so let's stay on on that because you know we all have tourism industries in the cities that we all live in. We have a chamber of commerce. We might have some other things. Tell us about the landscape of what it means to be a leader and how to be successful in that industry. So what did you learn from, what was it, Kami, you said? Yeah. yeah.
1: So really how important was to build those relationships? Um, I think that was probably the most important thing, building that trust, showing and educating about the industry, the positive things about the industry, being strategic, and being able to communicate that to those leaders and what it brings to the city. Um, and those relationships, I think, are the, the most important thing that i learned from her.
0: Yeah. So when you say like um, all the different relationships that you have to navigate, those are certainly within in the organization itself that, that you're you're part of. It's also government officials. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, correct. And,
0: and, then who, and then is there anyone else? And
1: We often refer to ourselves as that Oreo cookie, and we're like the cream filling in the middle that brings everybody together because we are a unique industry and in that we're accountable to so many people and have such little control. Um, we are accountable to the city officials. It's a public-private partnership. Right. We're accountable to the stakeholders who fund us. Um, through that tourism marketing district, we're funded by the lodging partners, so we're accountable to them. And then we're also accountable to our customers. Um, It could be the leisure market or it could be event planners and sport event planners and um, so having you know being accountable to so many people and having such little control it's a challenging landscape to maneuver but I something I thrive in I love balancing all Mm. those different entities Um, sometimes it's exhausting but um, it's exciting at the same time especially when you can bring all of those entities together and show progress and succeed.
0: Yeah, I know there's been um some times where you've not only managed those but then there's the people who live in the city who are saying, "Hey, why is there a big event here? You're disrupting my time at the beach." So you even have the the local people who live there who are who are a client or customer also.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the residents are a really important piece to that and how important it is to educate them on the importance of tourism in our community. It's one piece of the pie. We never want to be the the whole thing right. or like a tourist trap, but really getting them to understand we are a piece of that economic pie and what we do provides amenities that are they enjoy every day, not to mention the safety services and infrastructure yeah. improvements. So yeah. um and I think during COVID, I think that became even more apparent how important that relationship is with our local residents. And that's one of the reasons we're doing a sustainable tourism master plan um, to really look and talk to our residents, talk to our clients, or consumers, or stakeholders, and, and how do we all work together and find that, that balance?
0: Uh, there's probably nothing worse than having a city board committee meeting and you're trying to get something approved. And there's, you know, Phyllis, who's 88 years old, you know, saying, hey, this is, you know, and the committee has to listen to her and all of those things. And those are, are, are valid, but there's probably nothing worse than that happening. Yeah. So,
1: And really, if you think about it, and one, one thing we've learned as the industry, really, if you build a community that your residents want, the majority of your residents, we all want the same things. And so, and they, oftentimes they do have good ideas. So if we build something that the community wants and enjoys, that's most likely a place that the visitor is gonna to wanna to come and experience, especially today's visitors where they want that local experience. Um, they wanna get kind of beyond the normal and kind of experience what's unique to that area. And our residents really are providing a part of that experience. So just kind of educating that and, and bringing that to light and, and getting us all um, on the same page.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you've been a key leader in the advocacy efforts for new, uh, two new beach resorts, you know, the agritourism strategic plan in El Corazon. I wish you would have had El Corazon earlier when we had our soccer tournaments. We had to drive four hours somewhere else, and now it's literally eight minutes away from my house. But anyways, tell us about how these came to be and how you uh, prepared for the success that you're seeing now.
1: So when I first started the organization, we had so much potential in Oceanside. We're a beach community, and obviously that's an amazing natural resource that we have. Um, but we also knew really to develop demand in the off-season and kind of really push off the beach. We also needed to manage the destination and create product and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the SoCal Sports Conflict complex. That was a huge opportunity for sports tourism that brought people in year-round, growing that demand, relieving some of the pressure off the beaches in July. And so we wanted to make sure we were looking at those opportunities and advocating for them, having a seat at the table and what that that looked like, providing the input from the industry standpoint um, as it relates to who we contracted with, who was going to develop those fields. I mean, we were in representation from the very beginning on what that was going to look like. And then the same with the agritourism strategic plan. We have 3,000 acres of agricultural land in East Oceanside, and the farmers are struggling in California today. What can we do to help supplement their income while providing a visitor experience and generating economic impact? the entire city, not just helping to preserve farming as a way of life and saving that beautiful countryside. Um, But it is private land and they need to make money off that land. So what does that look like? Um, So we were very involved in um, helping to create a strategic plan and we learned that we needed to do a community vision plan from that. That became a priority. Um, So right now we're really working with the city on finalizing that and hoping it goes to council um, in the fall. But that will be the opportunity for farmers to create boutique hotels, create tasting, rooms Um, yeah create outdoor recreational venues maybe small little amphitheater concert venues still keeping within the scale and the environment and aesthetics of a rural landscape but providing those like hidden opportunities Um, we don't want to distract again from from what that landscape looks like but if you position them and have a plan um, for that whole area we can be really creative about it and generate revenues at the same time
0: yeah, it's great. And we were talking the other day, and I'd love you to share with the listeners. Um, you started off at at the chamber, and you know when I look back on it, I, I sort of see you as the as the seed that really started um, in seeing the potential of Oceanside, not only seeing it because it's one thing to see and have a vision, but then how do you bring that to life? Because it doesn't happen overnight. So. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you saw in Oceanside as a leader that maybe others didn't see, didn't have the ability to see, maybe didn't want to see. Um, Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So... uh Thankfully, I had that experience at San Diego North Convention and Visitors Bureau, and again, learned a lot from Cami and kind of see what could be done. And living in Oceanside as a resident, I really cared about what our community looked like and what it could be, not just from a visitor standpoint, but from a local standpoint, what we like to enjoy as residents in our own community. And so when I started at the chamber, they operated the California Welcome Center, which was a visitor center, or is a visitor center to this day, um, which was a great opportunity to get my foot in the door and kind of establish myself in the community we ran the visitor center we had some a few marketing dollars to do some marketing but i really knew the destination marketing piece was going to be really what was a game changer for us and really looking at separating from the, the chamber crane or organization so we could focus on the tourism marketing efforts as well as the management efforts and really develop the destination that we knew that we could be. And that's when I worked with um, David Nidegger at the time. He was the CEO and he was very supportive um, of us taking that opportunity and creating a tourism marketing district and separating from the chamber so we could focus on those efforts. And through that, Really important collaboration with the stakeholders and the lodging partners and the city staff and getting them to to believe in this opportunity and to make sure that they understood that we did have a plan and we were being very strategic about how we were going to spend those monies. We were able to make that happen.
0: How did you navigate that conversation with David? Because you're working underneath the chamber. So how as a leader did you navigate that conversation? and Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. In one of our conversations, when I first started, he's kind of opened up the door. I think as a chamber, he felt like running a visitor center wasn't really his mission. Um, his okay. mission was really the businesses and all business sectors in the city. So I think he saw an opportunity to unload the visitor center. Um, so taking advantage of those conversations and say, let us run the visitor center and focus on the tourism marketing efforts so you can focus on your mission as a chamber with all business sectors in the community and then we can work together and collaborate together when it makes sense when there's those overlaps.
0: Yeah so it sounds like just frank open communication is is what allowed you to to be able to do that and seeing what his strengths are and what he wanted to really focus on and and what your vision was. So when you started off um, talk to us about what you're doing, because I think you had to bootstrap this thing.
1: We didn't have to bootstrap this thing. When I think about our budget, oh my goodness, we had like a couple hundred thousand dollar budget and now we're at $3.7 million. So, it's it's been a long haul, a lot of work um, to get to that point. But it was, we really had to be scrappy in those early days and be really creative. And we still have to be scrappy. I mean, relatively speaking, we're still a small organization. Um, but in those early days, we really had to be thoughtful and very strategic, and intentional how we spend the money until we continue to grow and add and develop, add people and and build capacity to be able to do more.
0: I, yeah, and I remember having conversations with you, and and then not really knowing what the budget was, and you're like, "Mark, there's no budget for this event or that event," and it was just you you starting up a business, so so just yeah, fantastic. It's
1: hard to see what can be and have that vision but not be able to execute quite yet. You know, there's so many there were so many important things that needed to be done and needed to be supported like key events like the, the yeah. Beach Soccer event that you were bringing that was such a great opportunity for sports tourism in a in a time of the year that we still needed business. And how do you support that with such limited funds knowing what could be?
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Um in our interaction cuz <clears throat> I think Our event came shortly after you had shifted over, you know, et cetera. You know, from our perspective, it seemed like there were so many disparate um, stakeholders. This hotel, even though they were saying, hey, we're part of the hotel association, this hotel, but they had their own perspective about what success looked like for them. This hotel, this property, the city, et cetera. How did you you get them to be more aligned? Because I know it didn't happen overnight, but what would you say is the the key thing you did as a leader to help so I think get these? One disp- of the
1: things that was important, because everybody did have their own needs and very diverse types of hotels, very diverse types of markets, getting them to see opportunities. And a lot of our hotels back then were small. They're very operational oriented. They're about the day to day. It's hard for them to see long term vision right. and developing a destination and getting them to understand it's really if we're going to move the needle, we got to develop and create it, not just market it. So a couple of things I did when we, first started the organization, created the board, I brought in outside people from other destination marketing organizations who were consultants who had been in the industry for a very long time and had proven track records. Um, I made sure they had hotel backgrounds, that they started out in a, in a hotel and then went to destination marketing and then on to consulting wow. so he, they could speak their language and really let them hear from an outside person on what can be done and what is normal industry practices. It wasn't just Leslie Gall saying, this is how is, and this is what we're going to do, is just providing that expertise from outside entities that could speak their language.
0: That's so smart. Because as a leader, a lot of times we're at the top of our organization, and when we come in the room, in their minds, they're thinking, oh no, here comes Mark again. He's going to talk about this. And it's so smart to have someone from the outside even give that same or different perspective in, in a different manner. And I think it just opens up the mind. Um, so I think that was a great move by you doing yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Tell us about the Top Gun. How's the importance to the Oceanside?
1: We were really fortunate. One thing about our community, it's passionate and passionate about preserving those things that are important to our history. so that that's been really positive. And they really had a hand in in saving the Graves house when we were working with the developers when the city was working with the developers before I came on board, that was something that was really important that they made really clear that they need to incorporate the Top Gun house or the great historic Graves house into the development. And we were lucky that um, Jeremy Cohen represented the developers, and he was really great about listening to the community and the needs and trying to be thoughtful as they developed this project, that it was something that was for the residents as well as for the visitors, and they did incorporate it. So it was really, really that he understood the passion of the community and was willing to respect that. And then how serendipitous is it? I mean, when the hotels open and the Top Gun house it opens up to the public it's the same time frame that Top Gun 2 comes out so just amazing timing and synergy with that and and it is beloved and has so much memories from the residents to the visitors today and it's it crosses all generations um, because that movie was so popular in the 80s and and then with Top Gun 2 a whole nother generation gets to enjoy it so, yeah, it's, it's fun to see lines out the door um, around the block for people. And they did do a beautiful job in restoring it and really respecting the history. Um, it's a very Americana when you go inside and, and um, has some Top Gun memorabilia and things like that in it. So it's, it's been great. really fun.
0: Yeah, I know it was located a little bit further south originally, and they were trying to sell it for a dollar. And so my wife and I, are, oh, the land's for a dollar? No, not the land. If you remove the house, you can have the house. We're trying to figure out where where we put it. You know, wouldn't fit on our land, et cetera. So I'm so glad. Another question is, as it relates to Cohen and going through the entire process, because the properties where they sit right now, those were parking lots, flat parking lots, so everybody could look out and see the ocean. Tell us about what you saw, how Cohen was able to to lead the effort, but listen at the same time to make sure that there was something that was mutually beneficial, not only to the Cohen, but also to the city. Uh, share with us that journey, because I think it, was, it wasn't just a straight shot.
1: Yeah, no. And it was a very long journey and very contentious journey. There were different things that happened, you know, getting the resident buy-in and making sure that this huge change to that piece of real estate um, was done thoughtfully um, and it didn't feel like it was just high-rise hotel going up. Um, And then they went through redevelopment changes because Governor Brown took away redevelopment and that's how it was going to be funded. So they had to start all over and figure out how to renegotiate how this property was going to come to fruition. So just not those challenges, but then constantly meeting the residents along the way and educating at residents along the way because a lot of people in the beginning that was involved and then you have new people coming in they don't know all that history so it was just a constant battle for many many years but I think um, Jeremy handled it really well and he did listen to the residents and I think he did create a product that really tried to balance the needs of the hotels and generating revenue versus creating something special that felt accessible to the residents And the partnerships. He has lots of open space. Um, He wanted to feel very park-like where people could gather. The the Top Gun house, he wanted to make sure that was something that was available to the visitors and the residents as well to enjoy. Um, He incorporated, he worked with OMA, um, our local museum of art, to curate all the art in both properties, and it's all local, and um, San Diego County art. Um, There's an OMA West in the Seabird Resort, that's a little installation to honor Oceanside Music That's what that bar. is. Yeah. Oh, the
0: art is fantastic.
1: Yeah, it, he's done a fan- brand. Um, he worked with, he utilizes many local brands as he could. You'll find local spirits there, such as Pacific Coast spirits are utilized in the bars. Um, he worked with Brixton, our local retail company, on the uniforms for Mission Pacific. So the staff at Mission Pacific got to go to Brixton and purchase kind of the resort wear that they wear at work.
0: So smart. tons of examples
1: of how he weaved in Oceanside and the story. And he really got the brand. Um, I really appreciate the fact even later on in years when they were really close to open, I spent a half a day with his branding company on the Oceanside brand and the stories and how to weave it in. And he didn't have to spend or his company didn't have to spend that much time with me on how they weave that in that story in and tell it and how bring it to life. Yes, it's elevated and it's luxury, but that fits into our story well because he has been so thoughtful about weaving in those those brands and those unique experiences working with local surf companies for the surf lessons. I'm just being very thoughtful and intentional about all of that.
0: Wow. Oh, thank thanks for sharing that. Currently, how many people do you have on your team?
1: I have 12.
0: So we're,
1: we're constantly growing. I have to even stop and think about it. We've had a growth spurt the last couple of years with the new beach resorts that opened.
0: Yeah, fantastic. How do you see leadership playing out on your team now?
1: Really, I'm allowed to bring in more as it relates to the business development side and really bring in maybe more seasoned and experienced people who are in that business development world, bringing in people from the hotel side, the resort side, as we look to grow, again, someone that can speak their language, have the experience of working with full-service resorts. Um, it really didn't make sense in the early days so to bring in some of that caliber of people that were able to bring in and help us um, move the needle in that area. Um, again, with the marketing team, expand that. There's Marketing has changed so much with social media, and own platforms that we have to manage now and being able to expand that capacity on that to really manage all the different type of programming. Um, I think it's helpful to bring a lot of that in-house than a consultant. We still use consultants, but no one knows the industry and our organization better than the person on the inside And I think telling those authentic stories because they know it so well and they're in it makes a difference than having to hire consultants to do that. They just don't have that passion and knowledge that someone in-house has. So being able to expand that capacity as well is really key in moving forward and being prepared for this continued growth that happens.
0: Yeah, so smart when you're bootstrapping, right? Everyone's like a 1099, can I get eight hours of your time? And you're taking 12 hours and you're giving them a gift card and all those things. But really smart because the things that are critical to our business should be inside of our business. So instead of using an outside marketing firm, you're using it's inside and it's got to be inside. And that's a great transition that you were able to make. And it was it was through step by step funding, probably.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was just, you know, as the budget grew, looking at our priorities, what our goals were, what what priorities we need as far as positions to help to accomplish that and just continue to add and and I think when you have staff and you're able to empower them and get them wrapped around a vision which is sort of you know that leadership 101 They've really, they're, they become great ambassadors for you. I never understand why people don't take care of their team members because you can't do it alone. And if you have them on the same team being one of your cheerleaders, um, it's probably not the best thing to say, but I always say if they drink the Kool-Aid, I mean, that's that's what you want because they're going to work so hard for you. They're going to be so passionate about it and you need it. You can't can do it by yourself and if they make mistakes that's okay you learn from those mistakes you allow them to grow we're not surgeons in what we do so i think that's really key to to be allow that freedom
0: oh wow and that's so we can grow that's fantastic yes i heard the other day someone express we either win or we learn it's not win or lose
1: i love that we i'm gonna have to borrow that
0: yeah borrow it yeah that's fantastic so okay tell me about important quality about having having a strong vision.
1: So, well, it's it's great to have a vision and be a dreamer with it. But there's a quote that it kind of reminds me of from Lainey Wilson that I really love and resonate with me in it. And she says, if you're going to be a dreamer, you better be a doer because things just don't happen. And I, I always love I, I re- that really resonated with me when she said that because you do it. it's It just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, fantastic. All right. So you've been in this role in this position for a long time tell us about a failure that you had as a leader and and maybe how that changed you
1: um oh gosh i've had several some (laughs) some some strategies some campaigns that we thought were gonna just explode didn't but i think one of the biggest things i learned is with staffing and making sure you hire the right person and not sometimes we felt pressure to hire quickly and that's not that wasn't always the best move to make i think really taking the time to hire slowly and making sure that you get the right fit and really understanding the importance of those intangibles. Um, Lots of people have the right skill set, but is it that right personality fit? And do they have the right personality and and those intangibles, that service and
0: values,
1: those values that your organization have? I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned and costly lessons to really take your time and making sure that you have the right people for your team.
0: Yeah, in in a small organization, that's different from a big organization. You got a thousand people. You hire the wrong person. You got nine hundred ninety nine people who are still good. They overcome that small. When you got twelve,
1: you don't have that luxury.
0: Well, yeah, you you hire one that's wrong. I mean, the boat feels it. It's like wow, someone's not pulling their weight. They're a drag on the team. So so that that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's fantastic. What are some outstanding examples of leadership that you've seen over the years in the people that you've uh, formed? for? What, what are some outstanding things that you've learned, like maybe either from Cami or from from others? Share, share with us.
1: So I think really, again, empowering your employees and letting them grow and make mistakes and learn. And I think and really making sure they understand what role they play in the organization that everyone has an important part to play and how they're a part of that bigger picture and impact that bigger picture so they feel really good and then celebrate those when you do have those successes. Um, I think that's really important because, they're like I say, you need them. Um, and then other leadership things is just those, the importance of those relationships and being authentic um, when you're building those relationships because people can see right through you. And I think if you're real... And when you do make mistakes and you own those mistakes, I think people see, see that and appreciate that. So just being honest and real, I think is an important trait. And then I think one of the final things I would say is perseverance. Um, it, it takes a lot of perseverance and really being in it for the long game. I think so often we're about short term, we're about changing jobs every two to three years. Um, but I really had a vision. I knew it was going to take a long time to get there. And I was willing to, to stay the course because I could see it and I could see what needed to happen. And we just keep taking steps towards that. So I think um, it's really important to, to, to take the time and have that per- perseverance and um, strategize. And then as you accomplish that, what is the next priorities? And then what's the next priorities? And just start taking those steps Towards that, And then when I look back at all the things that we have done and the long-term impact that's had, you know, we, we've booked different events throughout the years, the sporting events such as the Ironmans and the beach soccers, and that's brought people into the community, the new resorts that have brought people into the community and got them to see what we're about, the long-term impact that's going to have. And the desire to come back for repeat visitations um year after year. um it's it's impossible to track that, but it has tremendous impact for our community and brand
0: so so playing the long game is is really important, yeah, great. You brought up some you know really important traits because it's not about just you at the top directing and managing everything. so it's about empowering, having them feel connected to, to that, and then giving them the tools to be successful in, in the celebration of it. What are some ways that you celebrate with your team?
1: Um, we try to get out, um, at least on a quarterly basis, and do an activity. And then we try to do an activity out in town. So we're not only just kind of celebrating and connecting, but we're also um, experiencing one of our local businesses' um, activities, whether it's a restaurant or a activity that we're gonna to do together. Um, we have monthly staff meetings um, where we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and making, having a success, successful KPI come across if there was a campaign successful or a new piece of business landed, um, taking the opportunity to recognize that at those monthly staff meetings that are in person and celebrate that success that that person had.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So as you're growing the team, because it's you initially, and you're looking in the mirror at the other employee which is you again right with the $200,000 and you're trying to figure it all out as you're growing the team what are some of the things that helped you surface as a leader and how are you how are you teaching others leadership within your organization
1: I think giving them professional development opportunities I think being a leader is a lifelong learning and I never get tired of learning myself. I still have, there's the things change. The environment changes, our industry changes and making sure that I continue to learn as a leader and look to other leaders and learn to them. There's people I've looked at and wanted to emulate as a leader and how and how they behave in, in public, how they treat their people, how they think. Um, and then encouraging that culture within my own organization and empowering them. I use that word empower a lot, but I want them to be, the experts in what they do. I don't have to be that expert. I want them to be the expert and let them know that I trust in them to take it and lead it. Because um, there's some things that they know and do better than I do at this point. It's just aligning myself with the right people and letting them thrive in that. And just again, can, continuing them to be lifelong learners.
0: Wow. Love that. Love that. The, the fluctuations that have happened since you've been here. You know, we had 9-11. Then we had the 2008 housing market turn. We have a, you know, challenge with COVID and now a, a looming recession. How do you how do you navigate through those from a tourism? Because when people there's fear, fear means, hey, I'm going to close up my wallet and maybe I'm not going to take that trip, you know, to where I want to want to take it to. How did you navigate through those, those four different I mean, those are massive challenges.
1: Yeah, they are massive challenges. And you really, we were busier than ever in a completely different way. You really take on that advocacy role for your industry. And we were involved in the Emergency Operations Center at the city council level, working with city and economic development. We were on committee meetings with our state representatives um, every month, working with them and advocating them. And even at the state level, to a certain extent, Congressman Levin was involved in some of those different state and local meetings. And making sure we were advocating on behalf of the industry, sharing our needs, proving why we could remain open in a safe way, for the example of, of the COVID and the pandemic. um. So really just... Just, again, having the opportunity to educate, and we were able to make an impact in those decisions that were being made and, and allowing for travel to happen. There were instances where we needed to remain open for essential travel and getting them to understand that essential travel was occurring. For example, Kent Pendleton, our largest client, they did not shut down because they were considered essential. So how do we accommodate those needs and do it in a safe way? Um, also, just from a mental health standpoint, I think we learned how important travel was and getting away and having an escape um, for people and being able to allow for that in a safe way. I think um, one fortunate thing about the travel industry, we feel like it's a birthright as Americans to travel and get away. It's almost essential. We we, right. we budget that because we have to have it. It's a need. Right. Um, but it does look different depending on what's going on politically or with with inflation and the recession, the looming recession. Um, I think people are, we're seeing they're still traveling, but they're cutting back on what they're spending. They're not eating out as much. So it does. How do we maneuver that? Um, how do we focus on marketing more closer to home so it's a closer drive, but they can still um, get away and escape um, and knowing that they're not going to spend as much money in the market?
0: Yeah, interesting. During COVID, because people could work from wherever they wanted to work, did you see an uptick? in occupancy um, in the city because people could work from wherever they wanted to. Like someone would come down from Los Angeles and we're going to stay here for a week. How did it impact Oceanside?
1: So we really, during COVID, we did. I mean, occupancy was down, um, but it wasn't as down as we thought it was going to be. And e- and Oceanside actually fared better than most um, California destinations during that time frame because we are a beach community and we were that escape. And um, we, you know, a lot of the urban areas such as San Diego, LA, they really suffered. But we were fortunate because of our location um, that we didn't suffer as bad. But it was it was down. And then when pin up demand. And we, every, we had all that pent-up demand. Our numbers were really well. And they did get close to, to 2019 levels at that point in, in time because we got to um, benefit from some of the froth of that, that pent-up demand. Now things are starting to level out. They're returning back to some of the traditional destinations. So it's still really important that we're, we're out there and marketing. Even in the summer period where it's peak, we want to make sure we get our, our fair share of that uh, with leisure softening because of the recession and, and So we still need to be diligent in it.
0: What about uh, the impact of like Airbnb um, or other entities like that? that now compete with maybe the properties and the hotels. How, how are you seeing that? Is it, is it helping? Is it, is it hurting?
1: Yeah, no, it is a disruptor. It's one of those things. When you look at challenges for Oceanside, there's there's so many things at play right now. Um, and Airbnb has been a disruptor. And um, the vacation rental market has always been an part, important part of Oceanside. It's one of the ways people could experience and stay in our ba- beaches through the vacation rentals. So it is an important part of our product. They do contribute to the tourism marketing district and to the promotional efforts. Um, But because of Airbnb, and they could be anywhere in the community, and you have them in places that aren't necessarily visitor-serving area, we do need to kind of manage that in a healthy way and level the playing field a little bit, even within their own industry, um, because there's so many now. And in 2019, we actually had more supply in our vacation rental market than we did our lodging market, our hotel market, which is really interesting now. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of supply coming into a small town. And how do you manage that? And how do we create demand um, to meet all that supply that's flooding into the marketplace?
0: It's interesting. I, it probably had an impact on some of the hotels who were wondering, hey, should I upgrade the room to make it look better? Because people want to have an experience when they when they go um, so, you know, a lot of the properties that are around probably said, hey, I need to fix this. So, so maybe it's elevating everything that's that's in the, um, all the properties that are in Oceanside also.
1: It does. And and competition does do that, right? It, it, a rising tide raises all ships and it does uh, make them think a little differently and upgrade their properties and use that opportunity to renovate. And it also does get them thinking about experiences. Airbnb has done a really great job at ex- at marketing the experience versus necessary the accommodation itself and getting them to think that way and think more creatively about how we partnership with the different restaurants or experiences out in town to really tell that story because I think people are really buying stories today and really as destination marketers we're more storytellers than anything else because that's what's inspiring them to come and experience and that's how you're differentiating yourself from other communities and I think Oceanside has a great story to tell we have a kind of a vibe like nobody else we have that beach experience but we're not the cookie cutter experience we've really done a great job of reinventing and reimagining existing spaces for new experiences that people want to have today and i think the dining and culinary scene has been a big part of that renaissance moving
0: forward it's been fun we've been here since 2000 it's been fun to see it it transform because we were living down in san diego and i was just leaving the submarine force and we were, you know, five minutes away from SeaWorld. We were 10 minutes away from the zoo. When the realtor said Oceanside, like we packed a bag, Leslie. Like we were, like, well, we got to stay overnight. We're going to travel 40 miles north to go to Oceanside. And then all the, all the connotations that were with the brand of Oceanside then, those are all melted away now. Cause we, we love, we were just down at, you know, uh, Kraft Coast tacos and, and beers last night and the vibe in the city was just awesome. It's just a great feeling. So I, I know you're really, really proud of that.
1: It's created community, right? And that's what people, it's created gathering places and outdoor gathering places for that sense of community for everybody to enjoy, the locals and the visitors. So, I, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing.
0: Oh, it's awesome. Every yeah. connections. Uh, last couple of questions. questions. Um, what's a leadership skill that you and your team use day in and day out that you feel has really made a difference?
1: I think the, authentic, the authenticity of my team and how genuinely they care and building those relationships and having those conversations and taking the time to have those conversations at all levels. Um, it's how I'm operating at a higher level with the city and our major stakeholders and our board and the legislators. I'm going out there and taking time to meet with people one-on-one. I'm not just doing blanket communication and hoping that they see it and telling that story and strategically telling those message points that we want them to know and hear. Um, so they have that, that buy-in and they're advocates with us. And my staff does the same thing with, with the, their partners and who they're working with. So I think that sounds a little little silly, but I think just the authenticity and honesty in how we approach everything and the respect that we have in building those relationships and understanding is just it's not my people, but it's also the people in the community
0: we always share w- with leaders of businesses that it's about the employee experience first and the experience is a story uh, about how what they do connects to the impact that they're making. And then it's about the client experience and it's a, um, that's a story also. So that's very, very good that you're doing that. And when people can see how what they do makes an impact, when you can see after eight years of trying to get the properties down there, you finally go, oh, the pain of the, the 18th board meeting and getting someone on board and, and not passing a vote and then passing a vote. And now seeing at the end, my goodness, there's probably tremendous satisfaction that your team has.
1: It is. And what and also makes you more efficient as an organization when I think back of the struggles and, and things where we needed response. And I think the team is sometimes amazed at how quickly people will respond to me when I email, or we need to have a meeting, or we need to accomplish something. And um, the response that I get is pretty instant pretty instantaneous and and positive. It they need to they want to know what's going on and how they can help and what so that shows me and it shows the team that they respect us they respect the work that we're doing because they're responding quickly and when we reach out it means something so they want to they want to know what what the issue is or what we're doing or what we're working on um so i think that really shows them how important that is
0: how fast was that response when you first started
1: not very fast no, it's like, can someone please meet with me? Can someone please return my call? But after all those years, when you really need something and you really need to make things happen, you realize how important all that work, all that equity, all that relationship equity that you built up is, is priceless. And it makes things so much easier and so much efficient when you're moving forward. And when you do have a crisis and you need to respond to it, you have built that up. So you it saves so much time.
0: Oh, love that. What's one thing that someone listening could do to surface the leader within them?
1: I think a lot of people don't see themselves as leaders. I wouldn't say I started out thinking I was going to be a leader, but I think when you're around people that you trust and respect and like to see what they're doing, I think emulating that a little bit, finding someone that you identify with and kind of start to emulate it and kind of... You can kind of see those characteristics in yourself that you can build it on and, and then put yourself out there. It's really hard to put yourself out there and do something that you're not, not used to doing or, or something out of your comfort zone, but really pushing yourself to get out of your comfort zone and put yourself out there and take that risk, um, calculated risk, but take that, that risk in doing so. And you just, sort of, you, you just sort of build up on that and it just kind of starts to happen organically.
0: Great. So $200,000 budget. Don't know what the impact is to the city way back when. $3.2 million budget. What's been the impact to the city? Because I know you're tracking metrics, either visitors or total tax or or whatever. Tell us what the impact's been.
1: So, well, I'm really proud over the last 10 years, we've maintained 7% year-over-year growth. Even with COVID, we've maintained an average. Um, And then from 2019 to when it was, quote, normal time period to now, it's been amazing. Now, there has been inflation of goods, and we've had two new hotels, which has impacted that. But still, there's been a lot of work driving that demand. So we were actually up twenty we were up twenty six percent year over year, but over twenty nineteen our visitor spend was up thirty six percent at a record five hundred and sixty eight million dollars. Now my goal is to reach a billion and I I see no reason why we can't on this pace we can't get there, especially with the tourism master plan and developing those experiences and that that demand in the off season.
0: Are you gonna do the pinky? A billion. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but we might have to do some kind of fun play off of that.
0: You, you know? should do that. Yeah. Uh, everyone, everyone knows that. Well, that's fantastic. I remember talking to you uh, 10 years ago, and you said something very salient. You said there's a lot of people coming from Los Angeles. They want to do a staycation in Southern California one weekend, and their cars and all of their money is driving by Oceanside, the closest place to stop. And so you must feel really good now that the exit ramp to get off on mission and the harbor is being used a lot more. And not only having people come here and and spend money and increase the tax revenue, which then helps the community but that they're having a great experience in Oceanside. You must feel really proud about that.
1: No, it is. It's amazing to say, that. and that's our top market. The LA Inland Empire area is our number one market coming in and getting them to come pull off the highway and explore our community and have a positive experience. It's amazing. We are, I think we, as an industry, should, we should be really proud.
0: So, Leslie, as you know, what we do is we provide top-level leadership development training And I can share with you that 20 years ago, it would have been really hard for me to find a place in Oceanside that would have represented the brand that I was trying to put forward. I would have probably gone to Carlsbad or or somewhere else. But now with the new properties that are down there, we've held two boot camps, leadership boot camps in Oceanside. I can tell you that the response has been fantastic. It's an experience where they're at a world class resort and that's helping to build my brand of uh, fast attack leadership and people park their car on Sunday when they come and they don't get in it until Tuesday until they leave because they can walk all around in the downtown what other feedback have you gotten from um, either residents or um, other businesses um, have you have you gotten that same feedback
1: yeah, the, it's been amazing. It's been a true catalyst Um, for Oceanside being able to offer that experience. It was something that we needed. You know, you yourself are a local, and you've always believed in Oceanside, and you've always cared about, you're one of those ones who wanted to invest back into your own community and be, and when you have the opportunity to utilize our resources and products, you do, and I'm glad that you were able as a resident to have that available to you so you could use it. We all deserve to have that, have special occasions in a in a hotel that could accommodate us instead of having to leave town. And then the feedback you get from the visitors and how eye-opening that is and how they had no idea this was available in Oceanside. It's all been really positive. And because they have been so thoughtful about the aesthetics and tying in the local flavor and the branding, it's not cookie cutter. I think they're just blown away and really appreciate that unique experience that they can have here in Oceanside now that you couldn't be for.
0: We held it right in the Mission Pacific, right in the downtown f- on downtown, right in the downstairs floor. And it was in this beautiful meeting room. When we went out, the Top Gun house was right there. So like, obviously the story that I have and how that impacted my life and how that encouraged me to even go into the recruiting office in, in Buffalo, New York. Um, it's just been fantastic. We had one team, they went back to their company and they said, hey, we had, they had such a good time. They told everyone else. Then when we're holding boot camp. In October of this year, there's another team that's like, hey, we want to come. And certainly they want to come and learn about fast attack leadership, but they learned about all the other stuff that they did, seeing the Top Gun house, uh, being able to walk around, going out on the pier, on the beach. And uh, that was a fantastic experience. So I thought I'd just share that with you.
1: No, I'm glad you did. And it is about those personal connections, right? Even though we're about work and we have to get the job done, it's really... That's what resonate us, resonates with us is having those personal connections and that feelings that those emotions that come out of that that want to come. The reason you want to come back to an area and that's what we want.
0: Yeah. Well, great job leading that. So we're going to go rapid fire here.
1: Okay. Oh, gosh.
0: Right. Don't think about these too, too long. <laughs>
1: Do I like?
0: Yes. Yeah. There's no there's no buzzer to hit. Hot or cold? Hot. Favorite restaurant in Oceanside?
1: Oh, don't ask me that. I can't answer that that question.
0: You can you can tell me offline.
1: So I'll have to tell you offline.
0: Okay. Um, favorite development you've seen in Oceanside?
1: I think the culinary scene overall, that really was the renaissance that really the catalyst to bring us forward and it helped us be prepared for when the resorts opened up. And the cool thing about the restaurant scene is that they really did reinvent all these old buildings to create something new. And very local and very farm-to-table. And and the people, they're all entrepreneurs. A lot of them were born and raised in in Oceanside. And they wanted to come back and invest something special in their own community. So I just love that story.
0: Favorite music you listen to uh, in the car during traffic?
1: So, okay, I grew up in the 80s and I love 80s alternative, but country is really growing on me. I've been listening to more and more country and becoming more aware of these country artists. So okay, um, country's you, been my thing lately.
0: Okay, you got to you gotta come to Stagecoach with me next year. Okay, are you going?
1: I've
0: been, well, I, I've been gone going the last couple of years, but I'm hanging out with 24-year-old people and they're, it's a young person sport, you know? <laughs> so a unique fact about you.
1: I was raised on a farm and I had a one, you know, Being raised on a farm has its challenges, and we didn't have a lot, but I had a great childhood and wonderful parents who really believed in travel, and we traveled a lot by car. But I think one thing that surprises people is when I was in second grade, I was driving a tractor while my dad and my brother were stacking hay on the wagon behind it. And I was too little to even push the clutch and the brake. I wasn't strong enough, so when I stopped, my dad would just have me turn the key off of the tractor. So.
0: That's fantastic.
1: We all had to play a role. It wasn't child abusive labor. He was an awesome dad. But there were times we just all had to play a part to get the work done. So awesome. I gave me good work, work ethic.
0: Three most important things for a leader.
1: Gosh, there's so many important things. I think being able to take calculated risk, getting people around your vision and empowering them to be around that vision and then being authentic. I think if you're not genuine in what you're doing, then people aren't going to believe it and buy into to what you're trying to do.
0: Awesome. well, a
1: lifelong leader, I'm sorry, a lifelong learner. I really believe you've got to keep learning. You never arrive. And if you think you've arrived, you're in trouble. Wow. Sorry, I had to throw that in.
0: No, that's fantastic. That was the fourth and it was a bonus. And it was probably one of the most important ones. So thank you. So Leslie, thanks for uh, spending time with us today in Surfacing Leaders. Make it a great day. Thanks for joining Mark today. And remember, new episodes of Surfacing Leaders will be available every other week where you can become inspired, gain confidence, and learn leadership right where you are. Until next time, make it a great day.